Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome. Well, this morning I uh, am getting the privilege to continue our series, Upside Down, The Paradox of the Kingdom. And when I was in the... um, 8.30 service this morning, I was chatting to uh, one of the lovely gentlemen there, his name is Ken. I said, hey, Ken, where's Val? I haven't seen her this morning. And he said to me that she's off shopping. And I was like, shopping? Sunday morning? He goes, oh, in Germany. (laughs) Tony, shopping in Germany. I'm like, I went shopping this week, Tea Tree Plaza, Mobbery. Doesn't quite sound the same, but I went shopping this week at Mobbury, Tichu Plaza, the new renovated uh, area there. And uh, when I was there, I was walking past one of the shops and I saw in the window uh, a top and I, it caught my attention and I thought, oh, oh, I like that. So I said to my girlfriend, hey, have we got time? And, you know, we're girls, we've always got time to uh, try things on. So I went into the shop and I said to the sales assistant, hey, I like the, uh, the top in the window can you please get it in my size, of which she went and did, and she gave it to me. And I went into the change rooms, and I started to put this top on. And so I'm putting this top on, and as I'm putting it on, I'm like, that's a really strange way of fastening. It kind of seems backwards. Like, it just doesn't, the hook and eye, it doesn't seem right. And then the zip and a couple of the buttons, I'm like, they're in really strange and odd places. So I get this top on, and then I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm just, like, it's just not fitting in all the right spots. And I'm adjusting things and pulling things and trying to get it to a point where you think, yeah, I think that's how it's supposed to look. And to get a little bit more confidence, I venture out of the change room and I say to my girlfriend, so what do you think? And she's like, hmm. And, you know, trying to find a nice way. You know that they're really your girlfriends when they go, oh, that's dog ugly, get it off. (laughs) And she's like, hmm. And we were trying things and moving things. And the shop assistant just happened to walk past. And as she walked past, she said, excuse me, ma'am, which that's the first mistake. It's like, I'm 50, but I'm not ma'am, all right? But she just said, excuse me, you've got it on backwards and upside down. (laughs) And I was like, huh, that makes sense. (laughs) And you know what? Right then and there, I thought about it and thought, you know what? That's what we often do. Here's the manufacturer has made this top a certain way, is made this piece of, um, I was going to say furniture, this uh, piece of clothing a certain way, to be worn a certain way, made with certain instructions. And I had come along and put my interpretation on how that should be worn. I'd come along and put my spin and understanding of how I think that this should be done. And do you know that that's what you and I do when it comes to the kingdom of God? God has created his kingdom. He has rules for living, a design for the way he wants it to work. But we often come along and put our interpretation on that. We come along and put our spin on that, saying, no, I don't think you wanted it that way. I think this is a better way. Whether we do it deliberately or, like in my case, inadvertently, the truth is the same that I'd come and had what I thought was the right way but interpreted it wrongly. 
And we have to understand that the kingdom of God has a culture and it's really not up for our interpretation. It's what God has set in place. He just asks if we would abide by it. And it's kind of like even within our family because you need to understand that all of our families have a culture. There are things that we are just known for and do. They're things that almost happen by osmosis. For example, in our family and in our house, as soon as you come in the door, it's shoes off. We just take our shoes off. It's just, you're just not home if you've got your shoes on. It just doesn't feel right. The other thing we do is as soon as we're home, we strip down from what we've been wearing and put all our trackies on. Everybody goes, it doesn't matter if you're only home for 15 minutes before you go to another appointment. Everything's off, trackies are on, ah, I'm home. Oh, got to go out again, clothes go back on. It's what we do. Part of our culture in our home is we've always sat and had dinner at the table. We don't sit in front of the TV. We don't take it. We don't get ready eating as we're getting ready. No, we sit down and have our meal together. We still to this day ask to be excused from the table. Tony mentioned we had Andrew Denton here um, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And on Wednesday night, he came back to our house for dinner. And it was one of the things he commented on. Our 21-year-old and our 19-year-old said, hey, I'm finished. May I be excused? It's, It's part of our culture. It's what we do. We sit at the table and eat. We ask to be excused. We wash our hands after we've eaten. I mean, I trained our children there. In fact, so much so, I remember uh, Bailey had a little friend over once and she asked, could I have something to eat? And I said, sure, sweets, and I made her something to eat and she went to walk off with it. And I said, excuse me, excuse me, can you sit at the table just while you eat that? And she said to me, oh, I don't have to do that at my house. And I said, I won't tell you what I was thinking, but what I said was, that's okay, sweetie, but here in this house... This is what we do. Would you please sit at the table? And then when she'd finished, I said, now will you please go wash your hands before you touch my lounge? (laughs) The point being, it's just inherent in us to try and put our culture onto someone or something else. And we do the same when it comes to the kingdom culture. See, when you and I become Christians, we get born into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has a culture. And this series is all about us understanding the kingdom of God's culture. Because in, like, if you look around the world today, you'll see actually there's a paradox, which means that there's a discrepancy between what we see and what God's kingdom does. We can look at it and say, well, God's kingdom's upside down. God's kingdom is kind of like to, uh, Kath's top, which was upside down, back to front, inside out. It's like it's not actually God's kingdom's right side up. It's us who are upside down, inside out and back to front. And we're wanting to look at some of the hallmarks of God's kingdom to understand, actually, you've heard it said this, but this is what God has said. So this series literally is about uh, the culture of the kingdom. And what I want you to hear this morning is that a successful Christian life is lived by doing what is contradictory to the actions you would take in order to be successful in this world. In other words, what you think and what the world is sprouting to us is success and what you need to do to get by and how you need to do to survive, we've got to understand that's counterculture to what God says. God's kingdom is an upside-down culture, but really it's a right-side-up. It's other cultures that are upside-down. And last week, Ashley spoke, and he spoke about first to last, and this week, I'm going to speak about die to live. 
And if you've got your Bibles with me, you can turn to John chapter 12, verses 24 to 25. And if you haven't got your Bible with you, you'll find it. You can follow it on the screen. It says this, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loses who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This morning I want to share some facts with you about seeds. Now I have in my hand, you probably won't see it, I tried to find the biggest seed that I could find, but I have in my hand a seed. And you know what you have to understand about this seed is this seed contains life. This seed contains potential for multiplication. Our scripture says that if it dies, then it can produce much fruit. But you know what it also says? It's the, it says it's the seed that dies that grows. So not necessarily every seed will be, uh, will be productive. And the fact that seeds need to be buried so they can die to be able to grow. And the good news for us this morning is we too are just like this seed. You and I contain the life of God in us, in seed form. You and I have the potential for multiplication. You and I have the potential to grow. And you and I have the potential to bear much fruit. But the counter is also true that you and I, like this seed, need to be buried. And you and I, like this seed, need to die. Now what you have to understand is not every seed produces fruit. I don't know any farmer who could say he has a 100% strike rate when he seeds his fields. He seeds his fields hoping that some of those seeds will germinate, will grow and will produce a crop. And the reason that not every seed grows is a thing called the tester, which is the hard shell that surrounds the seed. And depending on the hardness of the shell determines the length of germination or even potentially the success of life or death of that seed. You see, the hardness in the shell, what it can often do is stop water making its way through the seed into the nucleus where the life is so that it can provide what the seed needs to multiply. The other thing that the the hardness of the shell can do is it stops the transfer of gases. The oxygen can't come in to the nucleus so that the seed can multiply and the nitrogen that's released can't escape and again it leads to death in there. So a seed's success in sprouting often comes down to the coat that it's surrounded, the hardness of that coat. And do you know that you and I often come to God with hard coats on? We come to God with things that are holding us back from him being able to do what he wants to do in us and through us. We come to him with an element of, you know what, this isn't going to work for me, this is, I'm not going to do this, and it's a hard coat that is stopping us growing into all and producing what it is he wants to do in us. To live the full life that God has promised us, that he has in store for us, You and I need to die to live. And we do that by dying to ourselves. And you might be here this morning and saying, well, actually, well, how do I then die to myself? 
Well, the answer is found in the verse that we've just read. In verse 25, it says this, anyone, can you repeat after me? Say, anyone, anyone, who's anyone mean? Anyone, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What you have to understand this morning is that there's no actual Hebrew word for prefer less. So when they were transcribing this, the Greek word and the English word hate comes from the word sane. And that's the word that they had to use because there was no word that says prefer less. And from that uh, Greek uh, word, sane, comes all sorts of negative emotions like quit, like abandon, like relinquish. And so what that scripture is actually saying, it's not saying you who hate your life. It's saying, you know what, you need to prefer less your life. And I don't know about you, but for me, preferring myself less does not come naturally. Is there anyone else out there? Preferring ourselves less is not le- because we like to win. We don't like to lose. We're like, I'm conditioned to want more. I'm conditioned to do the best. I'm conditioned to be first. That's why last week, first to uh, last to first. We're conditioned to want more. We're conditioned to, for us. And we've got to actually understand, you know what? For us to have life and life to the full, the life that God has asked for us, we need to learn to die to ourselves. We need to prefer ourselves less. We actually have to take a leaf out of the Biggest Loser TV show. How many have seen that? I mean, even the concept of that. They've turned a negative into a positive. They've turned the art of losing into the art of winning. I mean, if you were told, hey, the more you lose, the most, you know, the more times you lose makes you the winner, we'd be like, that doesn't work for me. No, I thought it was about winning and about accomplishing. But you know what? We need to take a leaf out of their book because the more we lose and the more that those contestants lost, the more they won. They won more health. They won more longevity of life. They felt better about themselves. They looked better. They got more quality of life. So the more they lost, in actual fact, the more they won. So the bad news for you and I this morning is this. We all have to die. But the good news is we have a lot more to gain when we do. We'll gain, just like the biggest losers, you and I will gain a better life. You and I will look better Not because it's us, but we're supposed to become less so that Christ might become more. We look better. We'll feel better. Hey, we'll have a better quality of life and we'll probably have a longer life. So yes, you and I need to die. But in dying, we are actually going to gain. And so this morning... Oh, you can clap. This morning, I just wanted to look at three things. Just three coats that we have in each and every one of our lives that we need to lose so that we can indeed die to self, which is preferring ourselves less, so that when we die, Christ can live all the more. It's a kingdom culture. And the first coat that you and I need to lose is the coat of self-assurance. You know, assurance is simply put a confidence in oneself. Self-assurance to me screams, look at me. It's all about me. 
Look at me. You've heard this saying where he says, you're the man. You're the man. And there's all these promotions where they're saying, like, you're the one. If you want it to happen, you're the one. You can do it. It's you. It's you. It's you. You're the man. You go get him. You. It's counterculture. The kingdom of God says, don't look at you. Look at me. And we've got to have a kingdom culture. You want to die to self? Then you've got to die to the coat of self-assurance. Philippians 3 verse 3 says this, We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Church, we've got to stop boasting about our abilities and start boasting about his abilities. Here's the, here's the news flash. You and I can only do what we do because of him. The scripture says that every good gift comes from above, which means that everything that you are good at, I'm sorry to tell you, it's got nothing to do with you. Yes, you may have worked it and fashioned it and formed it and tried to improve it, but the inherent gift that you and I both have has got absolutely nothing to do with us. It's a free gift of God. And in order for us to succeed in this life, we don't do it like the world says, that says, look at me, look how good I am. I put confidence in who I am. We go, no, no, no. Counterculture says, I know that I'm nothing, but I know that I've been gifted and I know that I don't need you to look at me. I need need to be looking at him because everything I have comes from his hand. I love Dan thought this morning where he says when you think you've got nothing you've got the breath of God like actually God gave me the breath I have nothing I came into this world with nothing I am nothing but God we have to understand self I love confidence and confidence is great but it's what our confidence is rooted in and founded in that's the problem and when it's founded in me it's not good it's me living to myself. Right? Christian Christianity says, no, you've got to die to self. You've got to die to your self-assurance and understand you need a God assurance to know that he's called you, he's gifted you, he's placed you. You can do nothing without him. And I remember once, um, many times, people often ask me, do you get nervous before you preach? And the answer is yes. I mean, I was sitting out the back then, I was sitting down, and my knees were going like this. And often as I'm speaking to you, I can see it's the danger of having a handheld. I see it shaking like this. So yes, I do get nervous. And I'm also a reluctant preacher. It wasn't something that I wanted to do, that I desired to do, but something that God has gifted me to and called me to. And I've had to learn to be obedient to that. And so when I first started, it was really, really nerve-wracking. And sadly, what happened is you, you can get to a point where you, you're starting to get, to get used to it, you're starting to like it. And I remember once that I went, I had a um, meeting that I had to do and I'd had a busy lead-up to it and I just hadn't spent the time I would normally do with God before this meeting. And I got up and I did what I had to do and it was good and it wasn't bad, but I know when I got in the car... I just felt that I just started to cry because I went, you know what, God? I did that out of self-assurance. I left you, in a sense, on the shelf because I just started to rely on, hey, I've been busy, I was doing this. I went and started doing this in my strength, in what I could do, in the confidence that I have, in the skill set that I've learned, rather than saying, hey, God, come with me because every time I speak, I don't want people looking at me. I want every time I speak, people get a greater picture of you, that they're looking at you. And the problem with self-assurance is it's, it's grounded and rooted in pride. And it's so easy for us as Christians to just get into pride, but I'm good at that. I'm not saying don't be good at something. 
I'm saying don't let that be your confidence. Understand that, you know what, I'm good at something because of him in me and I can't do this without him. And the problem with being full of pride is when you're full of pride, you can't be full of God. And as living counterculture and living differently, we need to die to self that just wants to be full of pride and wants to be full of self-confidence. And we've got to be full of God-confidence because of who he is and what he's done for us. To die to self, you need to die to self-assurance. It's not look at me, but it's look at him and what he's done and who he is. Secondly, not only are we losing the coat of self-assurance, we need to lose our coat of self-centeredness. You know what self-centeredness is? It's all about me. And we're hardwired to want to make life all about us. My wants, my desires, my needs, what I want, what I think, I, 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 I. But the kingdom of God is not about us. It's all about him. Luke 22, 42 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's saying, God, I don't want to do this, when Father is asking him, he knows that his death is imminent, he's going to go to the cross, he's in the garden, spending time with God, and he's like, I really don't want to do this, God. He says, but not my will, yours be done. You want to die to self this morning? You want to be counterculture and live, prefer yourself less so that you can truly live? Then you know what? We've got to get rid of this self-centeredness. We've got to say, it's not my will, Lord, but it's yours be done. You know what? We see a percentage of about 50% of marriages fail in this nation right now. 50% of all those who say, I do, fail. And one of the major reasons they fail is because we want to be married, but we still want to live as single individuals. We want to live my life. Don't you tell me what to do. I want to be married, but I'm still me. I'm not ready to relinquish and surrender. But marriage is all about relinquishing and surrendering. We say in our vows that we will submit, we will honour and we will obey. It says, the woman says, I will yield my name to you. It's all Marriage is all about a choosing of yielding your will and your way to another. Christianity is exactly the same. Dying to self is about yielding my ways, my wants, my desires, me wanting to do it this way and saying, Christ, you're centre of it all. I don't want to be centre of my life. I want you to be the centre of my life. And the problem is in our, we live our marriages like that, then we bring it into our parenting. And you've only got to look at society and see kids. We've got kids now who've been told they can do whatever they want, they can be whatever they want, and there's no consequences to that, and we can't do anything to shape them or to correct them. No wonder we're in trouble. It's counterculture because God's kingdom and God's culture says this, you can't be whatever you want because I created you and designed you a certain way. Psalm 190 says, I knit you together. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And as parents, our job, it says, that we're to train a child in the way that they should go. So in other words, that they have a way and a path before them. They're created a certain way. So we frustrate them when we say, you can be whatever you want to be. I'm sorry, but you can't be. 
but you can be everything that God has created and designed you to be. And so when we talk about self-centeredness, it's about God, I would like to be an astronaut, but you've created me in such a way that I'm very creative and I could do this. And so this is the bent and the shape of which I'm in and that I'm going to yield what I want to do to what you have created and called me to do because it's not about me. It's all about you. And so we've got to take King I off of the throne. Because what you have to understand is that self-centeredness is rooted in idolatry. Now, you and I would all say, oh, I don't have an idol in my home. And maybe you don't have a little statue or you don't have something that you would bow down to. But idolatry is when we take God off the throne of our hearts and replace it with something else. And if you haven't replaced it with either family members or job or whatever, the next possible thing you replace it with is yourself. And often what we do is we kick God off the throne of our hearts and we put King I on the throne of our hearts. And I want and I need and I will and I should and I can. And it's not about that. It's got to be God on the throne of our heart and say, God, you will and you can and you shall. This is how we're talking about how do you die to self this morning? Get rid of the self-centeredness that is gripping your heart. Rick Warren says this, you discover purpose that is genuine life when you understand it's not about you. It's all about him. And I've shared many times about our 2016 and where Tony found himself sick He was out of action for about six weeks in terms of the main leadership of this church. And I have to tell you, there are many times when I just wanted to be by his side. I didn't want to be doing the things that I was asked to do. I am a reluctant leader. I'm the type of girl, I hate it when men open the doors for me because I hate walking into a room first. I just don't like it. And so I'm, I'm a reluctant leader. I've always been happy to be by his side, but I've never wanted to be in front. And so when Tony was sick, and especially those weeks he was in hospital, I was just dying to want to be by his side. But God said to me, no, Kath, the church need mum. They need to know dad is sick, yes, but they need to know the security and the security of having mum there. And so I had to learn, God, not my will, but yours be done. I'd rather be here, but this is where I am because this is what you called. It's not about me. And we have connect groups and all sorts of programs that we do here. And often when I'm talking to people, they go, oh, you know, I don't really, I don't feel like going to connect group or I don't get anything out of connect group or I'm not interested. I'm like, hey, dying to self is, it's not about you. Maybe you can go to a connect group because you could, someone's waiting for what you have. You might think I've got hundreds of friends, I don't need another friend, but maybe somebody else needs you as a friend. It's not about, when we talk about dying to self, it's not about you, it's all about him. And then the third hard coat that you and I need to get rid of is our code of self-sufficiency, which simply put is this, it's up to me. Do you know you and I falsely believe we can do a better job of leading our lives than God can? Oh, we'd never say it. But just because you don't say it doesn't mean you don't live that way. We honestly think when we lead our own lives, when we supply our own needs, when we put ourselves first, we think God got it wrong, we know better, we've got it right. But Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I love the fact that it says, trust and obey. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, but submit to him. It doesn't say, follow your heart, do what you like, trust yourself. No, it's saying deny yourself. Deny deny yourself the desire to want to lead your own life. Often we do things because we think, no, 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 God, I know better. And I remember just recently had an opportunity where somebody had betrayed a trust, my interpretation of that, and I just thought, oh, and I found myself just withdrawing. Where I may have gone to them in the past and said something or had a conversation or done something, I was just naturally withdrawing, just doing it ever so slightly. And God said to me, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, nothing. And he goes, no, 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 the, the relationship is different. And I'm like, yeah, well, because of this and this, and I'm just figuring, well, because they did that, but I'll just put some boundaries in. And he said to me, clear as day, you're not your protector. You don't supply anything. He says, I'm your protector. Good. Stop putting in place what you think. He says, I know best, Kath. Do you think that you know best? Do you think you know? And he said, what you're doing is putting an extra wall around your heart. You're putting another coat on your life, which is stopping what I'm wanting to do in and through you. He said, I can lead your life better than you can. I know what it is you need. I know what it is I can do for you. Dying to self requires you and I dying to our need for self-sufficiency. We've got to remember, church, if it's not up to me, it's not up to you, it's 100% up to him. Dying to self requires you and I dying to our desire of self-assurance, having confidence in us and placing our confidence in him. It means we've got to die to our need of self-centeredness and start removing us from the throne and putting God back in and saying, it's not about me, it's all about you. And we have to die to our need of self-sufficiency. It's not up to me, but it's 100% up to you. This is what I've discovered. I know the band are going to come and I'm going to pray for us in a moment. But if I hold on to my life and conclude that this life is the only life worth living... I don't only lose eternal life, but I actually lose fullness of life right here, right now. That's what that scripture says. But if I love my life less, if I die to self, then I not only get eternal life, I get a better here and now kind of life. Sounds like an upside down kingdom to me. Where the world says, hey, you live for all, gain it all, do this. God's kingdom says, no, no, no. The way to life is through death. Die so that you might live. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 